Hey, so good to welcome you to Fields Church Online. And we are so pleased that you've tuned in for this message. No matter what's going on in your world right now, we pray that you come away feeling encouraged by this message. So, yeah, I must admit, I sometimes suffer from imposter syndrome. So a couple of weeks ago, Josh, my son, said, Dad, do you want to come to the gym with me? I don't know the basis upon which he made that request. Well, I've got an idea. But um, I've been to the gym in the past, hard as that may seem to believe, and I always feel like an imposter. Everyone there sort of strutting around looking like this, and it's all that, and lifting enormous weights. I just sit around and, and feel woefully inadequate. I feel like an imposter in that situation. I work um, during the week at a university and occasionally I go to sort of like whole university get-togethers and whatever and I'll introduce myself, go up to someone and say, hello, I'm Mark, and hello, I'm Professor, so, oh my word, or hello, I'm Doctor, so-and-so. And And I feel like a bit of an imposter because there's all these really clever people who have done some really clever stuff and then there's me. So sometimes we can, you probably have have felt the same too. You go somewhere and you feel like a bit of an imposter. Now the person I want to talk about today, by the way, we were given free reign. So Richard said to a group of people, you can pick whoever you want off this list. So Richard obviously snaffled Noah really quickly. Um, And then the rest of us were given free reign. So we've when you go through, we weren't told. So, we were given free reign. So, I thought at the beginning we'd have a look at, very quickly, the various people who are listed in this um, group of people who are the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. So, we start off with Abel. So, Abel, if you know your Bible history, was the first murder victim... And he's a hero. He gave a sacrifice to God, and his sacrifice was considered acceptable. His brother's wasn't. His brother got jealous and killed him. So Abel's on the list. So he sort of stands up there quite high up. Also on the list is Enoch. Now, Enoch was so close to God that he didn't die. He just went off to be with God. So Enoch was so close that God just said, let's, let's just go home. And he didn't actually die. Then we've got Noah. So Noah, as, as we've heard over the last couple of weeks, in the face of the entire rest of the world mocking him, him and his sons built an ark in an area where there'd never been any rain. They were nowhere near the sea. No one had seen a boat before. And so he persisted while the whole world told him he was bonkers, and he kept building this thing. Wow, what a hero. So he's in that list. Then we've got Abraham. So Abraham, as we know, the name is father of many nations. He left his family. He went to a new area because God, who he hadn't come across before, told him to go somewhere different. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know what he was doing but he did it. 
Later in life, he eventually, when he was incredibly old, had a son. And then God said, if you remember the story, kill your son. And Abraham was going to go through with it because he believed that God would come through. So Abraham's on that list. His wife, Sarah, had a child incredibly old. So she was promised a child. She was very old, sort of several hundred years old, not sort of 65, but she was very, very, very old. So she's on that list because she trusted God. Then we've got that child. He's on the list, Isaac. So Isaac promised blessings to his sons. So he promised and he foresaw what was going to happen. So he's on that list. He had faith. Then we've got Jacob. Jacob ultimately knew what was going to happen, and he blessed Joseph's sons and said, out of our family is going to come this nation. So he is on that list of faith. Then we've got Joseph, who we know went through all sorts of things during his life. He was accused of things. He was wrongly jailed. He was... Um, beaten up by his brothers, and eventually he rose up. So he had faith in God. He is a hero of faith. And he believed when he died, he was confident that the Israelites would eventually re-reach Israel, eventually leave Egypt. So he's on that list. Then we've got Moses. Moses, as we know... Um, led the people of Israel out of Egypt. So he led thousands, of, well, millions of people out of Egypt. And he did some pretty amazing things with God on his side. He persuaded Pharaoh to let the people go. He went through all of those things. So he's on that list. So there are loads and loads of people who if we met in heaven, we would think, wow, I've read all about you. I wish I was you. You're just amazing. And then, on the list, the next person is someone called Rahab. I think Rahab has a bit of an imposter syndrome. She's looking at that list and thinking, wow, all of those people. And then we come to Rahab. So I want to talk about Rahab this morning. Some of you will know, you know, I've, I've put that up there, big letters in red. And some of you know, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about, Mark. Some of you may not know what I'm talking about. So you may roughly recognize some of those previous people. You don't quite know who Rahab is. So let's have a look at what it actually says in Hebrew. So this list of people of faith. It says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being encircled by the Israelites for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, oh my word, there's a prostitute in the Bible. Didn't see that coming. <clears throat> by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, received the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. So we've just looked at all of those people who we've heard stories of that we know about, and now we've got 
Rahab. So what I want to do is have a bit of a look at the story and then see what we can learn from it. What can we learn from Rahab? So let's put this in context. I'm sure you've all heard the story of the walls of Jericho. I'm sure you're all, you're all familiar with the story, so I'm not going to go over the story again. We may know it because we've read it in detail. We may know it because in years gone by, we went to Sunday school and we sang songs about it. But we all have a fairly good idea <clears throat> about Jericho. So what was it about Jericho? So the people, are, the, 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 the Jews had left Egypt. Moses had taken them so far. Moses died. The people of Israel now are on one side of the Jordan River and they're going to cross the Jordan River and they're going to take the land, this land that has been promised to them. So the first place they will come across when they go over the river is Jericho. So Jericho is quite low. It's in the broadest part of the Jordan Plain. It is a fertile, spring-fed oasis. So there was an oasis that came up within the city of Jericho. So in the middle of all this wilderness, you've got this oasis that is Jericho. It's strategically significant. So all the trade routes from all directions, all the migration routes from all directions went through Jericho. So it's the first city they came across, and it was highly fortified. <coughs> Now, I've done a little bit of investigation, and actually, Jericho has been found by archaeologists. They have found the city of Jericho, and they have found some interesting things. So I always thought that the wall of Jericho was one wall, but no, apparently not. So if we picture this, you come along and you find a, a large slope, and the city of Jericho was on top of that slope. At the bottom of the slope, there was a five-meter-high retaining wall holding that slope back, apparently. So if you imagine five meters high, so it's sort of three times my height. And then on top of that, there was another wall. On, now, I said to Josh before we started, I, I, I said, oh, I've done some investigation about the walls of Jericho, and it's really interesting. And he said, Dad, is that interesting to you? So we'll go with it anyway. So <clears throat> there's this retaining wall up there that goes, that goes to the ground. And on top of that retaining wall is another wall, which is another eight meters high and two meters thick. Then you have this, above that, you then have this slope. So the top of the slope is 14 meters above ground level. So it's up there somewhere. And on top of that, there is another eight-meter-high, two-meter-thick wall. So to me, as an Israelite, or as, a, as part of the sort of Jewish nation, I've just escaped from Egypt. I'm not a trained soldier, because I was previously a slave, and I made bricks, and I built pyramids, and I did stuff like that. I wasn't a trained soldier. So I'd come across this thing, and I'd think, wow. There's no way I'm getting through that. So that's where they need God's help. Now, just bear in mind, when we read the story, this is not just a story which we teach in Sunday school. <clears throat> Apparently, 
When they excavated, there were two people who have largely been responsible for excavating this, Garstang and Kenyon. Garstang in the 1930s, Kenyon more recently, who has excavated and looked at this area. And they found that, yes, the walls did fall down. Yes, the city was burnt. They found evidence that the city was full of grain. So it wasn't starved out. It was full of food, full of grain when it was knocked down. And there was a bit of the wall still standing. And that bit of the wall, now remember this, was on the north side of the city, which is the side of the hills. So on the hillside was over there. That's where this bit fell down. Now apparently, if you had lots of money, you lived in the middle part of the city. If you wanted to buy a cheap house, so if you were a, you know, a new person, you didn't have a lot of money, sorry, and you wanted to buy your first house, you bought a house in that bit between the outer wall and the inner wall. So apparently that was where real estate was cheaper, and there were houses built against the outside wall. And it was that bit by the north side near the hills which apparently was found still standing. So it's not just a nice story. Let's read this story. You can find it in Joshua chapter 2. So right at the beginning. Let's go through and have a look. So... Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out, and strangely, they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab. Who'd have thought that? We won't go over the morals of that bit. <clears throat> and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I don't know where they're from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, so the king's men went looking for the spies along the road, leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. So one would assume they went out one side of the city, yeah, across the plains. As soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We're all afraid of you. Everything in the land is live sorry, everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Shion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River. Those people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted with fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. So she had realized the strength of their God. So she may have been a person living in a city which worshipped 
other gods. She may have been involved in all sorts of other things, but she realized the strength, the power of God. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. <clears throat> Give me some guarantee that when, Jer- when Jericho is conquered, when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my, my father and mother, my brothers, my sisters and all their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down a rope through the window, escaped to the hill country on the north side, escaped to the hill country. Soldiers have gone that way. She was like, oh, no, you go that way because this is the way straight out of my window. So escaped to the hill country, she told them, hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then, when we have returned, you can go your way. Before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath oath we have taken, only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms, she replied. And she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. The spies went up into the hill country and stayed there three days. The men who were chasing them searched everywhere along the road, obviously the other way, but they finally returned without success. Then the two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River and reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. The Lord has given us the whole land, they said, for the people in the land are terrified of us. Just very quickly, we go to Joshua 6, verse 24 and 25. So, all of this happens now. They cross the Jordan River, which is a miracle in itself. They do all of the marching round Jericho business. The wall falls down, all the rest of it. <clears throat> verse 23 in Joshua 6. The men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. And then move on to 25. So Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, and her relatives who were with her in the house, because she had sent, give, hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. So that's the story that hopefully we're, or if we're not familiar, we've raced through that a million miles an hour. But we're fairly familiar with that story. But what can we learn from it? What are the lessons that come out of, at the end of the day, what is basically quite an exciting story? But what can we learn? I would suggest that very often, knowing stuff isn't enough. We can have a whole lot of head knowledge. 
I know a whole lot of people who have head knowledge. As I said, I work at a university. I know a lot of people who are very clever, but absolutely useless. <laughs> yeah? They know a whole lot of intellectual stuff, but practically they're not a lot of use. I would suggest that no, just knowing stuff isn't enough. So Rahab, probably by the nature of her job, she met lots of people, and she kept up with the news. She knew that these people were coming. She knew what was happening. But just that knowledge wasn't enough. Just knowing wasn't going to save her. She did something about, about it. I would suggest that head knowledge of Jesus isn't enough. We need to act on that. We might know everything that's in the Bible. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Are we people, and I, I'm talking to myself, am I someone who actually put it into action? If Rahab had just sat there in her home, and say, well, I know all this information, but know nothing about it. What would have happened to her? She acted, and she was saved. What else can we learn from Rahab? Oh. Our past is past. That last verse said, she was accepted into Israel, and she lives there to this day. If you're honest, if you're really honest, you would think that an idol-worshipping foreign prostitute is about as low as you can get, wouldn't you? God accepts us regardless of our past. It doesn't matter what we've done. Our past has gone. I've done stuff in my past that I'm not proud of. I was recollecting the other day um, a, a particular thing I did, and I know what happened, I know what the result was, but I haven't got a clue how I got there, and I'm not proud of that. All of us, probably to a greater or a lesser extent, have got things in our past which we are ashamed of. With Rahab, as with us, what matters is now and what happens going forward. God, at the end of the day, isn't so worried about what's gone before. He can forget that. Lamentations 3 says, because, the Lord's, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Doesn't matter what has gone before. If we come to God and say we are genuinely sorry, so the Bible word is repent, then we can be saved. If we are sorry, then our past is our past. It doesn't matter what happened back then. We can be forgiven. And that verse says, his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. So probably, I imagine, I sinned more than likely before I actually got up this morning. 
And we'll, we will all continue to do that. But God doesn't say, well, actually, I'm sorry, enough is enough, that's it. His compassions are new every morning. So knowing stuff isn't always isn't enough. Our past is past. What else can we learn from the story? Blessed because of what she did. Because she helped. Because she was, she was prepared to put herself out there. She was prepared to take a risk. Philippians says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Do we do that? Or do we see people in trouble? Or do we see a cause that needs our help, that we could invest in, that we could be involved in, and do we just not get involved because oh, it's too much of hard work? Rahab ultimately was a gift to the people of Israel. We'll come to that later. But she was that gift because she went out of her way. She probably was reasonably comfortable being a prostitute. She was probably looked after. I doubt there was a shortage in business. So she was able to probably live her life. But she took a risk and she was a blessing. What else can we learn? Trust is a must. So she trusted that the spies would be true to their word. So as we follow through the story, so she had these two people come in, hide in her house, and say, this is what's going to happen. If you get your family, if you get people into your house, when the entire city is destroyed and routed, will you kill everybody? And she takes you. And she trusted them. Because she went through and she did what they said. Because it later said that her and her family were spared. So she trusted. Do we trust what God says? Hebrews says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Do we, in the face of adversity, do we, in the face of, I'm seeing one thing, but God's word says another, do we hold on to that? I would suggest trust is a must. We need to trust. God has promised and he will deliver. I would also suggest that believing isn't seeing. If you're believing something, it doesn't necessarily mean that it ties up with what you are currently seeing. That's what faith is all about. <clears throat> so why did all this happen? I don't think anything happens for no reason. Why did all this happen? Let's have a look at Ephesians 3. It says... Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is work, at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So Jesus isn't just working for the here and now. 
Jesus is working for the future. Jesus is looking in the long term, because it says there, throughout all generations. I was thinking about that. Do you have stories in your family? Do you have stories in your family about your granddad, your great-granddad, your granny, where you came from? I know, obviously, there are some people who like to trace their family tree back. And they like to go back and find what's gone, in, gone on in the past. It, I, I'm always quite fascinated as to, you know, what's happened in your family in the past. And maybe how you got your surname. You know, my surname is Tree. Goodness knows where that came from. But, you know, Richard is Smith, so it's fairly obvious. Somewhere back in his family, someone was a Smith. A blacksmith, a silversmith, a goldsmith, or whatever, but a smith of some description. So I think it's sometimes quite interesting. Does, has anyone ever watched that Who Do You Think You Are program where they, they get celebrities and they get people and they go back through their family history? I know elements of my family history and bits of it are, to be honest, are a bit scummy. But. <laughs> I'm not going to share the stories with me with you, but you know some of them are a little bit. Oh, really? But anyway, I'd look back at a few. Boris Johnson. Now, if you want to see something really funny, I suggest you Google and you find the "Who Do You Think You Are" version with Boris Johnson. If you want to see someone who is like from a, any of you familiar with P.G. Woodhouse. Yep. If you want to look at someone who's a bit like that, slash Billy Bunter, whatever, watch Boris. It's hilarious. But nonetheless, he traces his family tree back, and he finds that he actually is related to King George II. So Boris traced his genealogy back to King George II. The comedian Josh Widdicombe did his... And strangely, he is distantly related to Henry VIII. Can you see it? There's a little bit of a similarity there. <laughs> but Josh Widdicombe, if he can trace his family tree back to Henry VIII, one which I think was really quite shocking. Oh, dear. Right. Danny Dyer from EastEnders. Hello, darling. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm glad I got a bit of a sore throat because I could do that now. So, Danny Dyer traced his family tree back and found that he was actually descended from Edward III. You'd never have thought that, would you? And Matthew Pinsent the Olympic rower and winner of many, many gold medals, actually is descended from Edward I. So he, they managed to trace his family tree back to Edward I. Again, it's really interesting to go back and find where you came from. Now... If you were to turn in your Bible to Matthew 1, there is a genealogy. Now, I'm, without the aid of a safety net, I'm going to attempt to read this backwards. Okay? Are you ready for this? Right. 
So if we start off with Joseph. You know Joseph? Yeah, Joseph, Mary, Bethlehem, Jesus. Yeah. So let's start with Joseph and we work our way back. Are we ready? Joseph, Jacob, Mathan, Eleazar, Elihad, Akim, Zadok, Azor, Elikim, Abihad, Zerubbabel, Shethiel, Jeconi, Josiah, Ammon, Manasseh, Hezekiah, Ahaz, Jotham, Uzziah, Jehoram, Jehoshaphat, Azar, Abijah, Rehoboam, Solomon, oh, Jesus has got some important people in his family tree, Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, David, wow, King David. David was the son of Jesse. David was, so Jesse was the son of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Remember the story of Ruth, who married Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab the prostitute who lived in a scummy house attached to the wall in the cheap part of Jericho is the, I don't know how many greats, but lots of them, grandmother of Joseph, who was the, we would say, adopted father of Jesus. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Believing isn't seeing. Rahab didn't know that if I hang that rope out of my window, if I do what I'm told, then in umpteen hundred times, I will have a great, 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 great grandson who will be responsible for bringing up the Messiah. Wow. She didn't see it, but she believed it. If we have a look at Hebrews 11, verse 13, it says, so this is the hero chapter, all these people died still believing what God had promised. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. God has promised a great deal throughout his word to you and to me. We may not necessarily see it. It may be some time from now. But God has promised we will receive it. But more importantly, more, or as importantly and more immediately, Rahab is, a, is an example to us all. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter who you were. It doesn't matter who you are. God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't just save nice people, good people. Jesus came for sinners. We are all sinners. And we all have a hope and a future, which is through Jesus Christ. So the start morning, if you're thinking, I've done an awesome matter, 
if things are looking difficult, things are coming against you, there are armies at the wall. God has a plan to save you because he has a plan for us and it's a plan to give us a hope and a future regardless. Thank you. Let's give Mark a hand. Thanks, Mark. Can we just bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment, if you would, please? Everyone do that. Just no one looking around. I'm going to be really respectful to the people that we have here. Something struck me in this last week as I was snatching some elements of people standing before the Queen, bowing their heads in reverence, some old soldiers saluting. People very touched and very moved. There was such an outpouring of grief, and I believe it's still going on now. People are just waiting forever. And I don't know, probably hundreds of thousands of people are there going to bow before the Queen and pay their last respects. As I was thinking about this, I thought of Jesus our king, who died a cruel death on a cross, the king of the universe, the creator of all things, died on, the, on a cross. And you know there, are, there were only two at the cross, John the Beloved and Mary. And I thought, how poignant is that? Millions, hundreds of thousands of people are coming to bow before the queen. And I think that's right to pay your respects like that if that's what people want to do. I think it's the right thing to do. Because she's like a grandmother to all of us, that's what I think. Been such a constant for 70 years. Can you imagine that? Governing her kingdom for 70 years. But you know there's going to come a day when every knee will bow before the King of Kings. That's what my Bible says. There's going to come a day when every knee, every person that's ever been born will bow their knee to Jesus Christ. Are you a part of God's family? Maybe you think you're here by accident, but I don't believe that's true. I think you've, God's just brought you here this morning. Are you a part of God's family? Are you a Christian? Are you saved? Going to church doesn't save us. That's a good thing, a good practice, and we all ought to go to church. But giving our life to Jesus is something totally different. Like Mark said, repenting from our sin because we've all sinned all fallen short of the short of the glory of God each one of us every person on the planet and i think you're here and god's been knocking on the door of your heart and he wants to come in will you let him in this morning the problem with this door is the handles on the inside he's not going to force his way in but he will gently knock and ask can i come in would you open the door of your heart this morning to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If there's anyone here this morning who just senses that you just want to respond to what I've said, just put your hand up while no one's looking around. Just put your hand up and say, that's me. That's me. I need Jesus in my life. I want to be part of God's family because, friend, he's coming back again. He's going to take all those that believe in his name. Is that you today? 
Or maybe you're here, the second part of what I want to say is maybe you're here and you, you've gone to church maybe all of your life, but church has disappointed you, it's offended you, it's hurt you, but you're here today. You think by accident, but I think God's drawn you here. And you were giving up on God, but you know, friend, son, daughter, God will never give up on you. Never. And he wants you back. Is that you? You want to recommit your life to Jesus? Just slip your hand up and say, that's me. When no one's looking around, every head bowed. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Let's just close our eyes and just respond if you need to. Because God is waiting. He's not mad at you. He loves you and wants you. Well, let's hope we're all right with God. I'm going to pray, close the service. We'll have a prayer team up here standing at the front. They'll have lanyards on. If you have any need whatsoever, if you want to respond, if you didn't respond now to what I've just asked, then go and speak to these guys at the front and they'll pray with you. Maybe you have some needs in your life. We all have needs, don't we? Every one of us has needs because this world is just getting darker. But we are of the light, aren't we? And if you need prayer for anything, just come forward. Just going to pray and we're going to go and have some fellowship. Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for Mark's message that it doesn't matter about our past. We are new creatures in Christ. Our past is past. It's buried in the sea of forgetfulness. God decided not to remember our sin. He remembers our sin no more because Jesus paid the price for our sin. So, Father, as we just as I stand before you this morning in front of this congregation, I want to thank you for Jesus. Thank you for our King. Thank you that you reign in our hearts, Lord, and you want to have a family with you in heaven. And, Father, as we go right now, I thank you that your angels would encamp around about us, keep us safe and free from harm until we can meet again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please, please stay for tea and coffee. And uh, I'm sure they've got croissants and cakes and biscuits and that kind of thing. So be good to fellowship together. Bless you as you go.